Well, today I'm, I'm handing the microphone off to a great friend of mine. It's been a privilege over. We were kind of putting it together before service. We guessed somewhere on the 25-year, a little further range that I've known Jim Kelly. He was a fellow pastor. He was up in Raleigh. Uh, we had very similar churches, the church I served in South Charlotte. We had Christian schools. We both have, yeah, we've outlived those. And uh, I know that was probably what brought us together. We're like, what do we do with this thing? Uh, but we have served together for many years now. And Jim is one of the overseers of Hope Church. He's on the official board over this ministry. But more than that, he's my friend. He and his wife, Jan, have been so good to Denise and I. And I called him the other day and I said, you know what? Hope is probably getting a little tired of my voice right now. I've been going for about 14 weeks straight. And uh, would you come and, and would you share with us? And he said, I, I got you. So today, would you put your hands together? Welcome Jim Kelly All right. uh, as he comes. And Dave is going to bring a pulpit out. Thank you, out. David. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Thank you, David. Hey, David, stay here for a second. Good morning, everybody. This young man, do you, are you happy that Mariah and David are here with you guys? Um, I've got Pastor Mike, Denise, I've got a, a few more connections here, as you know. Justin Leedy, who was banging on the drums this morning. Uh, actually worked with my brother Chip in Orlando, so we've known each other for a while. And David grew up in my church, RCC Raleigh Christian Community, for many years. And my first memory of David was him playing air guitar in, he would, he would move out of the pews or out of the chairs into the, uh, the walkways and just, <laughs> when he was like three years old. So you'll give it up for David. Love you, brother. It, it is an exciting day. By the way, your worship was great this morning. The spirit of it was just, you guys have just come alive, man. And it's so good to be here with you um, uh, at Hope. Can I brag on your pastor today? Is that all right? As Mike said, we, we have known each other. We were talking before the service, probably close to 20, maybe 22, 23 years he was pastoring in Charlotte. I was in Raleigh, and uh, we got to know each other. And then we started working together closely with our um, with our church planters. And I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Mike and Denise have worked together and helped assess nearly a hundred couples to plant new churches all across this great state of North Carolina, and we couldn't have done it without Pastor Mike. So would you give it up for your pastor today? Thank you, Mike. Denise, you know, um, being church planters, we can kind of we can kind of sniff out the ones who've, who've got the gifts and the abilities to do it, and we're not afraid to say no to people because we don't want people doing something they're not called to do. It's like having a bad guitar player on the stage, which you didn't have today, by the way. She, she did phenomenal. But you know what it's like? Oh, I can sing. No, you can't. I'm sorry. Sorry. You, you can't. Don't you want to operate in your gifts and be used in your strengths? I know you do. Um, I want to say this, too, that, um, that Mike uh, and Denise, as many of you know, have been through physical challenges and my wife, Janet, uh, went through a very serious cancer bout four and a half years ago. The good news is in just six months, she'll be completely cleared, completely healed of stage three cancer. 
So we are just thanking God that we're still alive and uh, we can enjoy the uh, grandkids. And yes, grandkids are coming. Any grandparents in the house? You know what I'm talking about. It's the greatest time of your life, right? I want to talk to you today just for a few minutes because we're all excited about seeing these four people get baptized today. I want to talk to you about embracing change. Say that word with me, change. Most people don't like it. And yet, it's something that our Savior commands us to embrace. We're going to be talking about this. How how are you dealing with change these days? How many of you say, hey, I'm good with change. Change is cool with me. Okay, a few of you. How many of you just honestly can't stand change? Okay, yes, many of you. That's right. Uh, hey, I want to ask you, and you think this may not sound very spiritual, but we're getting there. Trust me. How many of you understand your personal wiring, your, your personality? How many of you have ever taken a personality test before? Okay, so there are all enneagrams to different animals to, you know, you name it, there's a ton of different tests out there. But I want to talk to you about a very simple, basic personality test that many of you have taken. It's called the DISC test. Has anybody taken the DISC test? Okay, about half of you. There is the D, there's the I, there's the S, and there is the C. And the D is the driven personality. They are the, um, the, the, the determined, driven people. And out of 100%, what percent do you think makes up these driven personalities? Take a guess. 20. Five. Somebody else. Do you know it's actually 3%? So only 3% are actually the D, the driven, decisive, determined people. Many of you try to stay away from those people, and yet they are the change agents that come into churches, that change churches, change movements. They may drive you crazy, but we need them, right? And then we go from the, the D to the what we call the I personality, and these are the influencers. These are the talkers. These are the connectors. Can you guess what my personality is? That is me. At least that's what people tell me. Now, out of 100%, what percent do you think are I people? Out of 100, take a guess. 40, 15. It's actually 11. 11%. So 3% are these driven, determined. The other, uh, the I personalities, the, the kind of happy-go-lucky, they, they meet you and 10 minutes later they can't remember your name. Those people? Those are the I personalities, the people who lose their keys all the time. They can't find their wallets. They forget where they parked, and they're asking everybody and their brother where they parked at the mall, right? That's the I personality, right? They're outgoing. And then you've got the S personality. These are the steady, stable, secure people that every church needs them. In fact, they make the best small group leaders in the church. 
They're, they're steady, they're stable, they're secure people. And what percentage out of 100 would you think are S's? Take a guess. 25. 40. Do you know it's 67%? That means two out of three people are these steady, stable, secure people. Don't throw, you know, too many changes too quickly at them, but we need them. They're the servants in the church, right? They're working in the nurseries. They're the greeters out front, right? Now, you do have some eyes in there, too. They're like, hey, I'm Charlie. Who are you? You know, but the S's are really good with people as well, and they're a little bit more laid back. 67% of them, and what about the last one, the C personality? The C personality, they're the cautious, calculating people. They're systematic people. My wife is a high C with a secondary S. That means you don't throw surprise parties for them because they don't know about it ahead of time. It's not good. And they want to make sure that your day is planned. They want to know which restaurant they're, you know, I'm like, hey, let's just hop in the car and find something. She's like, no, we're going to decide ahead of time. And I'm going to calculate how long it's going to take to get there. And I want to sit in the same place where I sit. Do you know people like that? Yes. You're clapping because that's you. So guess what personality uh, percentage are the C personalities? Not, there you go, 19%. Now, let's talk about people in the Bible that have these personalities. Um, think about your driven, decisive, determined. Who could that be? How about the Apostle Paul? Remember, he's arresting uh, Christians. He's grabbing them, putting them in chains, dragging them to prison. God gets a hold of him, knocks him down, says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you're perse- persecuting. Now, go and, and serve me. And guess what? So Paul gets saved. He begins to serve the Lord. And the Bible says he's preaching powerfully about Jesus, the same guy who was determined and driven to throw these people in jail, is now risking his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a D personality. How about an I person? Well, Peter could have been an I personality, right? Open mouth, insert foot, right? You're always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. That was Peter. And yet, think about King David. When you think about David, the Bible says that he would dance in his underwear before the Lord. That's what the Word of God says. And his wife, Michael, was up watching him and said, you're embarrassing yourself. What are you doing out there? All these servant girls are watching you. You're dancing around. And he said, I'll do it, and I'll continue to do it because I love the Lord that much. He was an I. He was a a great musician, singer, the psalmist of Israel. One time, he gets into the enemy's camp, and he doesn't know what to do, so he starts drooling, acting like a madman, and the king's like, get this guy out of here. He's crazy, and David did that just to protect him. In other words, eyes will do whatever they have to do to get the job done. You see? 
So David could have been an I personality. Now think about the S personality. Think about somebody like Abraham. The Bible says Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. In other words, because he trusted in the Lord, the Lord said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Great for an S personality. Then he turns to his wife and Sarah and says, hey, I'm kind of afraid that they may kill me when we move into Egypt. Tell everyone that you're my sister, not my wife. And that's exactly what he did. So we see as we walk through the Bible and see Abraham, he really was an S personality. And then we look at the C personality, that 19%, and we think about Moses. And we think about how he was the one that God said, now I want you to create the tabernacle. I want you to do it exactly this way. And have you noticed that C personalities tend to never ask for help? They always want to do things on their own. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. Let me close the door. Let me read. My wife's like that. She said, after church on Sunday, we would greet all the people after church, and I would come home so pumped up. We got to meet all these new people, and she said, I'm going in my room for three hours, and when I come out, I don't want to talk. I've already used up all my words for the day. So you see these different personality styles, right? All through the Bible, whether it's Abraham or, or Moses, right? And yet, in, in, in all of these things, God wants to use each and every one of us. So here's the math. If we do the math, we see that D's and I's love change. They love to implement change. They eyes love new clothes, new restaurants, new people. D's like new challenges. And when you add the I and the D, it's only 14% of people. That means 86% of people resist change. And yet, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, unless you change and become like children, you will not see the kingdom of God. So when we think about children, and we're going to be baptizing three kids today, we think, we think they're carefree and spontaneous, and they go with the flow. Their bodies, as you know, are constantly changing. They, they're learning new things all the time. I've got a six-year-old granddaughter and two three-year-old grandkids, and and you could just, every time we see them, they're saying new things and doing new things and new words, and their bodies are changing. They're meeting new people, new classmates. Each year they have a new teacher. Their lives are in constant flux. Think about this. Change is not only a part of everyday life. According to Jesus, it's an actual kingdom priority. Unless you change and become like children, you won't see. You won't see it. When I was 16 years old, my dad got very sick. He was a college baseball and basketball player up in New Jersey, and he came down with rheumatoid arthritis, and it was so bad that we had to move to a warmer climate. And they said, well, Jack, you can move to Phoenix or Orlando. You pick. 
So we said, well, my mother lives in Florida, so let's go to Florida. So we moved. When I was a junior in high school, left everything I knew. I was the fourth of seven kids, so we had nine. My, and our aunt lived with us. There was ten of us. And I was the fourth of seven, so I was the negotiator in the middle of all the kids, right? We moved from New Jersey, the cold climate of North Jersey, and we moved to Orlando. And when we got there, everything was new, new school, new friends. You know how it is. How many of you have made major moves like that? You know what I'm talking about. It is ups. I, my sister went into depression because she wasn't, she couldn't handle it. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm an eye person. Now I can handle this, right? You know, I'm. Well, I had this neighbor kid that would hound me at the bus stop, and he would invite me to church. And I'm like, I'm Catholic, bro. I'm I'm not coming to church with you. He said, Well, listen, I go to this church called Calvary Assembly in Winter Park, and it just happened to be one of the early mega churches. There's like six thousand people who went there. And he said. I want you to come to church with me. I'm like, no. And every day after school, he would follow me and say, Jim, you, you need to come to church with me. And I finally said to him, okay, if you go to mass with me, I'll go to your church just to get this guy out of my hair. So he comes to the Catholic church with me. I said, how did you like it? He's like, oh, it was pretty interesting. And so I finally went with him to this church, much like Hope, and I, I walk the aisle, and the ushers, of course, you're in Orlando, so everybody's wearing, like, these lime green jackets, right? This is back in the 70s when everybody looked like Arnold Palmer, right? So, so they walk us on the slope, walk us down to the second row, and I'm sitting with my friend and this man who's about six foot five, and um, the pastor preached. I don't remember a word he said, but at the end of the service, he said, if you're ready to surrender your heart to Jesus and live for Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. And I'm being that high eye that I was, right? I'm like, cool, yeah, baby, whoo. My hand is up. And I put it down, and he said, okay, if you're serious and you raised your hand, I want you to walk down, come down the aisle and stand in front and, and meet us here for prayer. I'm like, no way. Ain't going to happen. I ain't doing that. Not cool, bro. And so the big man who was next, my friend was here, and the six-foot-five guy next to me said, son, I saw you raise your hand, and I'll walk down there with you. I'm like, dear God, no. And he put his arm around me, and we walked about 10 feet, and I stood right up here. And the pastor said, this is the first day of the rest of your life. Everything is about to change. And it did. And today I stand before you changed because I came to a church much like hope. And I'm here to tell you that the more people that we can get just to come in the door, the holy, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is get them exposed to this, the presence of God that we feel today, and they will give their hearts to Jesus. I'm telling you. And so it's all about embracing change. And that was, the, that was the beginning of the change of my life. How many of you remember that day when you, you surrendered your heart to Jesus? You remember that? And you gave it up, everything 
change. So speaking of change, let me ask you just a couple questions before we finish up today. What does God want to change here in Charlotte? Think about that. What does he want to do in this city? And let me follow it up with this question. Can a real move of God take place in Charlotte? How many of you believe that? I believe that. You say, well, I don't see anything. Faith says you see it before you see it. You speak it before you see it. You believe God before you see it, right? Let me ask you this. Do you believe God desires to use Hope Church to be one of the key components to the change in your city? Doesn't mean you do it all, but you have a you have major stake in it. And God uses this fellowship to help bring up. How many of you believe that? I believe that because I know your leadership. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Are you, are you willing to change personally? To make room for people who may not look like you, act like you, vote like you, here at Hope. Because it's not about that anymore. It's simply about the kingdom of God. Because politics is here, the kingdom is here. Right? Everything is subservient to the Spirit of God, right? Are you willing to change personally, to make room for people here at Hope? I hope you are. I hope you are. So talking about change, Jesus dies. You remember Peter denied him three times. And then Jesus is resurrected, and he comes back and makes fish and bread for breakfast with the guys and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. He asks them three times, do you love me, Peter? Yes, you know all things, Lord, you know. Then feed my sheep, Peter. So here's Peter. He repents. He's now serving the Lord, and he's down at the beach near Joppa, near the seaside, and he's on the roof of a friend's house, Simon the Tanner, and the Bible says that he's hungry up there. He probably smells lunch being cooked. He's up there praying, and all of a sudden, he has a vision, and he sees a sheet fall from heaven with all of these animals that to the Jews were unclean. I mean, unclean stuff, and The Spirit of God speaks and says, Peter, kill and eat. What? And the sheet goes up. Again, it comes down. The Spirit of God speaks to Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He's like, Lord, what are you talking about? It goes back. Happens three times. Remember, Jesus would always ask three times, to Peter, different things. A third time, this white sheet comes down, all these unclean animals. Peter, get up, kill, and eat. He says, Lord, I have never, I have, I'm a Jew. I've never eaten unclean things. And the Lord says, do not call anything unclean. And he's scratching his head, wondering what this means. All of a sudden, There's a knock on the door, and men came from, 
this Roman officer named Cornelius' house sent these men from Caesarea all the way to Joppa, which is nearly 100 miles, to find Peter, the disciple of Jesus, because Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, has a vision of a man named Peter coming to preach at his home. Well, the Bible says that this Roman centurion loved the poor, would always help the poor and pray. And an angel shows up to Cornelius. This Roman centurion says, the Lord God has heard your prayers, and I'm about to answer them. Go send your men to Joppa to find find Peter. He's at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. Go get him and bring him back to your house. So Peter's still scratching his head about these unclean animals and what this means. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and these men from Cornelius said, we're supposed to bring you back to Caesarea because you've got a word for us. He's like, you don't understand. I'm a Jew. You're Gentiles. We don't do that. But the Spirit of God says, go. So he takes some of the believers with him, some of the Jewish guys with him, and they go to Cornelius's house. And he walks in. Cornelius, when he comes to Cornelius's house, Cornelius falls on the ground on his knees and starts worshiping Peter. He's like, no, 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 no. Stop. Stop. I'm a man just like you. So he gets up. He says, please, please, I've invited all my friends to fill my home because supposedly you have a word from God for us. And Peter says, I have never, never spoken nor walked into a Gentile home in my life. And the Holy Spirit's like, get ready to change, Peter. <laughs> change is a coming, and it's starting right now. So he walks in. He's got his Jewish friends with him, like, check this out, boys, you know. Here we are. And they're eating all this unclean food, right? And they ask Peter to speak, so he begins to speak. And as soon as he speaks, listen to this passage of Scripture, Acts 10, 44 through 48. Even as Peter was saying these things, he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon all these Gentiles who are listening to his message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. It had never happened before. Everybody that was in the upper room a few months ago, they were all Jews. And they began to speak in languages they had never learned. They began praising God, prophesying. He's like, can anyone object to these people being water baptized like we're going to do today? Because the same spirit that fell on us in the upper room has now fallen on a group of people I would have never dreamed I would even be around, no less they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Can anyone object to them being, talk about a spiritual curveball being thrown at your head. He had never seen this before. And could it be, church, could it be that God will do some things 
in our lives and in our church that we have never seen before. Ever before. You say, well, that person would never come to this. You don't know that. And God may send you to places that you thought you would never go in order to win someone to the Lord. All I'm saying is let's embrace the change. Let's embrace it. Say, Lord, I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be one of those old wineskins that you can't use anymore. I want to be flexible and pliable. How many of you are like that? You want to be used of the Lord? A few of you. Same thing happens to Paul. Paul and his team are preaching, and they, they get to the very edge of Russia, which is now the Russian territory, a place called Bithynia. And they try to go in, and the Bible says, the Spirit of Jesus says, don't come in here. It's not the right time. I've got another assignment for you. And Paul's scratching his head and his team like, what's going on? I thought we were being led of the Spirit to, to go here. So they go back to camp, and they spend the night, and guess what? Paul has a dream in the middle of the night, and a man from Macedonia, many hundreds of miles away, is crying out for Paul, saying, Paul, come to Macedonia preach the word of God here. So he wakes up and he tells Timothy and Titus and all the other guys that, you know, Dr. Luke, hey, God said not to go into that Russian territory, but we're supposed to go to Macedonia. So what do they do? They go to Macedonia and God does amazing work, plants new churches in the air. I mean, it was a powerful thing. Isn't this something when you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, what he does? The fruit is Amazing. Let me tell you something. God may stop you dead in your tracks until you know. No, don't do that. I've got another assignment for you. And could it be, could it be, Hope, that God wants to do something new here? And we need to be listening and paying attention. There may be ministries that we're doing right now. Eventually, one day we'll die. Yes, say that with me. Die. Everything has a life cycle. Even churches have life cycles. Everything dies sooner or later in, in order for new things to be birthed. This is a new church. God wants to do fresh things through Hope Church, right? So ministries that we're doing now, we may not be doing in 10 years from now. God may want to do something fresh. For example, I'll use myself as a pincushion today, okay? I used to lead worship. I no longer lead worship. And most people are like, thank God. I used to be a pastor of a church. I pastored a church. I was there 26 years. And there was a day that God says, you're done. I have a new assignment for you. Okay, Lord. I used to work just exclusively with church planters and their teams. I no longer do. Now I do church planting. 
help revitalize churches. I do men's ministry. I travel and teach at churches. It's a whole different thing. And five years from now, I may be doing something different. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is always doing new things. So if you and I stay open and supple, he can continue to use us. Just a few weeks ago, my son Peter and I took a, a drive as far as you can go in North Carolina to the mountains to, to a little town. We were actually closing an old church. There were seven people left in this church, and when we met with the leadership, two of the people left that night. So they were down to five. They fought tooth and nail to hold that church open. And yet... <laughs> We ended up closing that church, as you well could imagine. See, embracing change is not always easy, but necessary. Some things die in order that new things come to life, right? Are there things that you used to do that you no longer do? See, sometimes we have to lay even good things down to make room for the new things that God wants to do. In us and through us. When the Israelites were traveling through the desert, there was always a group of... Compl- now, there are no complainers here at Hope. I know that. Now, oh, couldn't be. But when they were traveling through the desert those 40 years, there was a number of complainers, and they would turn to Moses and say, Moses, we're sick of this manna. You know, God would rain down bread from heaven. It was a miracle. Six days a week, he'd rain this stuff down. They'd scoop it. They'd broil it. They'd cook it. And they'd eat manna burgers and manna cotti and anything they could make from it. And they were like, we're sick of this stuff. We want to go back. Back where? Back to Egypt, where at least we can get some leeks and some onions all the while forgetting that they were slaves in Egypt. And they worked under the whips of their masters, and their sons were being tossed into the Nile River for the crocs to eat them. And yet, they despised change so much, they were willing to go back to being slaves. Mm. So, church, hope, hey, let's not go backward. Let's go forward. Amen? Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and keep my loving eye on you. God also said in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 3, you've been wandering around this, this hill country long enough. It's time to move. It's time to change. There's a new place that God has for you and me. And I believe in the coming days, we're going to see it. Isaiah 43, 19, God says, forget the past. Forget the former things. I'm about to do something new. Will you not perceive it? Will you not recognize it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll make streams in the wasteland. When you think you're going to starve, I will provide. And why does he do this? So his people can be refreshed. God always leads us into triumph, doesn't he? Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11 hasn't changed, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. People say, yeah, I've heard that before, but nothing ever changes. And yet Psalm 145 verse 13, God says, I am the faithful God to all my promises. And he is loving to all he has made. So brothers and sisters, let's embrace change. Let it come. It may not be comfortable. It it may be even a hard transition, but it's not coming to diminish you. It comes to re-energize you, to refill you and bring you hope for the future. Amen?